0: Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. How you doing, my friend?
1: I'm doing great, bro. Just uh, excited to do this uh, on a beautiful July 3rd, which is also my younger brother's birthday. I just want to tell him, happy birthday, Isaiah. Um, I know i'm recording this uh, on your birthday and so i appreciate you and everything you do and yeah happy birthday and yeah i'm always excited to talk about the nfl and then uh later on i get to talk about that fight card so yeah i'm stoked
0: heck yeah yeah happy birthday isaiah that's awesome and uh yeah let's jump right into it so we can start off with our weekly questions here uh which nfc east wide receiver will have the best year Obviously, we're uh, going into our NFC East breakdowns starting with this week, and so yeah, you know, a lot of good wide receivers across that division. Figured we'd ask, and out of the choices, we have scary Terry McLaurin, Ceedee Lamb, Devonta Smith, and Kenny Galladay. And on social media, uh, you guys chose Terry McLaurin. Uh, and what do you think, Enrique?
1: Um. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I'm surprised that um, I'm surprised CD Lamb didn't get the nod a bit more. I, I I figured Devante and Scary uh, Scary Terry would be like the leading choices, um, but I'm really surprised CD Lamb didn't get any more votes. Um, I personally think CD Lamb is probably going to have the best year, and that's just based off the quarterback play. You know, nothing against. Um, uh, nothing against uh, Carson Wentz. I, I was literally going to say whoever the fuck they have in Washington, um, <laughs> but we always we always shit on Carson Wentz, and we got to stop doing that. Um, so, you know, and obviously, like I'm a huge fan of Jalen Hurts and everything that Philadelphia's got going on, but I just think that Dak Prescott has been um, consistent as far as when he's on the field. He's he's you know. Uh, I don't know where you put Dak, but he's, like, top 10 in the NFL, right? Like, quarterback-wise, just he's got to be at least in the top 10. So, uh, yeah, like, I'm not going to argue where you have him. I can't even really say where I have Dak Prescott right now. But, um, yeah, I think that C.D. Lamb is – especially with the trade of Amari Cooper. I think that that's going to be a huge – a pivotal thing in C.D. Lamb season is now he's going to be looked to as the number one wide receiver. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this is the opportunity that he has to really make good on that and make good on the draft uh, capital that they use to draft him. And yeah, I think that this is C.D. Lamb's time, but I do see why, um, I, I do see why people are picking scary Terry. And, um, I thought I saw some comments too about Devontae Smith and, and I could see why both those guys, but, um, yeah, it, how do you feel about it, Ryan?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I can see arguments for uh, really, I guess, any of them. K- Kenny Galladay, it's interesting because I will I will say I only put Kenny Galladay on there because he was the Giants' leading wide receiver last year. Um, but they had a tough year with injuries, and so his production just like looked odd next to everyone else as he had like 500 yards and zero touchdowns. And, like, so he was only technically the lead receiver because their entire wide receiver core just got like decimated last year. So we'll have to see what the Giants' weapons can do. And we'll go into that during their breakdown here. Um, but with that said, I can see arguments for both Terry McLaurin and CD Lamb, like you said, uh, especially CD Lamb when it comes to, uh, like you mentioned, the Amari Cooper trade. So that leaves all the space now for CD Lamb to take that number one spot. Uh, and a lot more responsibility on, and he seems up to the task. Um, And so, you know, that'll be exciting to see, and I think that's definitely a solid reasoning why you would expect him to be the, uh, you know, leading wide receiver in this division for that. And then Terry McLaurin, I can also see the argument that, you know, like you said, Carson Wentz, everybody does kind of crap on him and they make fun of him, including ourselves, you know, but he – has shown flashes of talent um, and when he can put it all together, he still has the potential to be, he ha- he was running on basically an MVP level-ish run during that Super Bowl run before his ACL injury. Um, and so he's put together good football and if he can recapture that, uh, especially with a weapon like Terry McLaurin and at bare minimum, like Carson Wentz of the Colts last year is a, upgrade than anything that I can think of that Terry McLaurin has had a quarterback before. You talk about what Ty- Taylor Heineke I mean Alex Smith but he was not as effective coming back obviously you know happy he was able to come back but just a different quarterback at that point uh, so he had he didn't have Alex Smith when he was healthy and I think He's had, what, Ryan Fitzpatrick for a game or two as quarterbacks. I'm struggling to think all the quarterbacks that he's even had. Like, he's really had, I don't want to say bottom of the barrel, but just struggling quarterback play. Um, And so Carson Wentz is an upgrade from all of that uh, at bare minimum. And Terry McLaurin has made do and gotten decent stats with that kind of quarterback play. So it'll be interesting. I can see arguments for both, for sure. And, I mean, like you said, Devontae Smith, We'll get in with the eagles but um yeah i don't know i, I would pick I, I feel like i would pick cd lamb to be honest with you i agree with you that just the the exit of uh Amari cooper combined with the quarterback play of dak prescott which is the best in the division i think that puts it over for me so yeah and then we can move on to our second question here which Broncos player will make their first Pro Bowl? And the options were Patrick Sertan II, Jerry Judy, Draymond Jones, or Javante Williams. And on you guys chose Patrick Sertan II. What are you thinking, Lincoln?
1: Yeah, I think it's got to be PS2. Um, Just based off of, you know, what he showed last year as a rookie, um, I think he's just going to, you know, build on top of that and, you know, We talked about it before, and we've talked about great young corners um, like AJ Terrell and guys who have took a little time to become a good corner in the league, um, at least their first two years. Pat Sertan did it right away. You know, as a rookie, he was a very, very, very good corner. um, And so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fully agree that I think PS2 will make his first Pro Bowl of many. And, um, yeah, I just think he's a... Guaranteed lockdown corner, you know, going forward. And, um, you know, kudos to the Broncos for having him on uh, their team.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, you talk about that decision in the uh, drafts to you had Justin Fields on the board and everybody wanted, including me, to be honest with you at the time, wanted the Broncos to take Justin Fields. And then you look at it now, you have Russell Wilson on your team and you have Patrick Sertan who's looking to be Uh, a future top five corner in the league, you know what I mean, for a long time. Um, And so it's funny how stuff works out sometimes. And in this case, you know, sometimes it's not – it doesn't work out the way it does or you want it to. But in this case, it worked out exactly how George Payton wanted it to. Um, And he's got his quarterback in. Now he's got his lockdown corner too. And, yeah, I think all those other guys have good chances. Jerry Judy, obviously, with Russell Wilson coming over. Um, as do you could, to be honest with you, put almost any of those wide receivers on there. If like, depending on which one that uh, are ones that uh, Russ meshes with the best, I mean, you could see KJ Hamler, you could see Tim Patrick uh, or Jerry Judy make their first pro goals. And then, I mean, Draymond Jones, we've just been looking for him to take that next step. Uh, and Javante Williams, you know, it's possible especially with him having uh, likely the number one carries this year. Um, But yeah, I think Patrick Sertan just should, like there's a lot of people that think Patrick Sertan could have been a pro bowler last year, but got snubbed just because he's a rookie and there was other more deserving veterans. You know what I mean? So we'll have to see what happens, but I, I would tend to agree. So that will do it for our weekly questions there. And then we can move on to our sports news Uh, starting with the NFL, uh, the triest week that I think I can remember during uh, the span of our show so far, you know, 16 episodes in. uh, We have really one big story, and it does pertain to the division that we're talking about right now uh, and the wide receivers we just talked about earlier. Scary Terry McLaurin agrees to a three-year extension worth up to $70 million, and he'll receive $53 million in guaranteed money and earned 23.3 million a year. Uh I don't know exactly where that puts him on like the top ten of wide receiver salaries, but it's gotta be somewhere in there. He's not the highest paid because what Tyreek was like 27 something. I, I thought
1: Tyreek I thought Tyreek cracked 30 dog. Did he? I I thought Tyreek never... cracked 30 and then Devontae was at like twenty eight
0: Something or like something that. like that,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, it's, it's it's kind of ridiculous,
0: right? Yeah, so Scary Terry's not quiet up there, but I mean, more than respectable for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, I like that. Well, I mean, if you ask me, I think he should have gone to a different team to be honest with you. But Ooh. if he's gonna stay. I like that he made it a three year deal, he got pretty good market value, didn't demand like you know number one right or not like number one as i on the team but number one overall you know i'm the best wide receiver in the league money like 32 or whatever we're talking about uh right but yeah i mean it's a i guess in that sense like a team friendly deal even though it's still 70 million dollars for over three years um but he's worth it and i mean if you're going to be on the washington redskins and uh you know washington commanders Or, yes, Redskins football team commanders. I kind of like football. Redskins football. I I like football team too. Right, like, it's almost the best of the bunch. All right, but, yeah, I mean, you know, nothing really bad to say there other than just, like, I'm worried for his future in terms of being one of those wide receivers. If they can't – if Carson Wentz doesn't work out, if they can't find – they also have Sam Howell. Which we'll talk about uh, when we cover the the commanders as well. But if they can't find a long term solution, I just don't want to see his career go to waste. Because you never like to see that. You think about like the early years with uh, D Hop in the Texans. It's kind of a similar situation. It's like you see him almost overcoming the lack of talent at quarterback, but you're like, what could this guy be paired with? And um, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, something like that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. But good for him. And then I guess with that, uh, we can move right on to our NBA news. And we got a ton to go through. So, first few contracts here: Zion Williamson of the Pelicans, Darius Garland of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and then John Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies. Or Grizzlies. Uh, so they all sign, uh, or at, well, so those first three sign pretty much identical contracts, which is uh, five-year rookie extensions for 193 million worth up to 231 million, just based on uh, their achievements during the contract. If they reach like All Stars or All NBA teams and things like that. And, yeah, it looks like it's pretty much an identical contract for those guys. Um, So, good for them. All well-deserved. I'm I'm excited to see what all of them can do going forward. But, like, Zion is the only one I'm, like, you're, like, you have any questions about whatsoever, but he's still Zion. You know what I mean? I I have no issue with it. I have a slight issue with it. You do? I – yeah uh, that was the only one I was like maybe.
1: I have a slight issue with it, but it's not as much of an I, I just I just haven't seen enough of him, you know? And yeah. and that's my only that's my only complaint. I'm not I'm not mad that he got the money. Like his potential overall is worth the money. Um especially on that, that rising Pelicans team. Like look what they did look what the noise they made against the Suns in the playoffs. And that was without him, you know, so having him back play, uh, I mean, honestly, even if he's half as good as what we saw, could still be a pretty decent force in the NBA and, you know, like, I don't know, it's, it's easier to pay him and figure it out then than it is to not pay him and have to figure that out, you know, so I do know why he did it. I do know why you do it for the Pelicans. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, shout-out to John Morant, I think, of – well, that and Darius Garland, too. Yeah. He's uh, he's playing on the Cavs. At least John Morant's playing on the Grizz. But, yeah. Yeah, all of them. All of them. Two of them,
0: for sure. Zion, a little bit less, but all of them deserving. For sure. And Darius Garland, underrated, just straight up. Uh, you know, he, like, was not great when he first came into the league, but he – rapidly, rapidly improved as a player um, and was an all-star this past year and has just looked really, really good. Um, and I think he, you know, the potential is sky high. So I, I'll be excited to see what they can put together. They have a young, interesting young core over there as well. Um, they'll start and get built and got some free agents as well. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, obviously, John Morant with Memphis and you saw what they did. They They got something going as well look to be a potential perennial contender going forward. So, but moving on here, two more contracts. So Carl Anthony Towns uh, of the Timberwolves and then Devin Booker of the Suns agree to uh, like almost the same contract as each other again, which is a four-year $224 million Supermax extension with their respective teams. Uh, And then in Devin Booker's case, he still has two years on his existing contract, which is gonna make his total $295 million over six years. So he is a very rich man now. And uh, an interesting note about these two contracts. So both of them have, share the same agent, Jessica Holtz, and she is the first female player agent to ever secure a max or supermax contract in the NBA. And she did it twice on the same day with both of these guys securing supermax deals. So just a bit of history there, you know, I thought thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Shout out to Jessica Holtz. Um, Can I just say one thing before I saw the news, because you texted me about um, Rudy before I, like I was literally going to text you back and say, what happened to cat then? But then I saw the news that he signed the deal and I was like, Ooh, Keeping them both, okay. And then um, the only thing I have to say about Devin Booker is that Drake thing. Yeah. That Drake called him out on that song. That's the only thing I can think of when I hear Devin Booker's name. I just know Drake called him out on that song. And I know it has nothing to do with sports at all. And congrats on the bags to both those guys. But that that Drake shit was vicious, dude. Like, <laughs> That's all
0: I can think of when I think of Devin Booker, dog. It's just He's pretty funny. I know I can't I can't unhear it when I hear that song now. That's that's what I'll think of as well. But
1: because um, I yeah, love D no, Book so much, dude.
0: I know, right? Yeah. Well, and like the whole kind of rap game, and especially Drake with his old Toronto Raptors fanhood, is just kind of like part of the NBA culture too. You know what I mean? It's like almost part of the whole thing. So um, Drake like but, is a player at the point. right pretty much um yeah so yeah congrats to both those guys well deserving uh and yeah i do think that that's an interesting situation over there with the timberwolves we'll get to that uh, a little bit later here so a couple more stories bradley beal agreeing to a five-year 251 million max extension with the washington wizards i uh, do i hate why Wow. I hate this. I hate so much. I just like it's, I mean, it's almost like the same conversation as Terry McLaurin. But like, I'm super happy for him to have gotten the money and the the security that comes with that. You know what I mean? That's awesome. I'm happy for him. But like, if you wanted to compete, it just does not seem realistic on that Washington uh, Wizards team. So, like, if he wanted to have a chance to actually compete, this was his opportunity to – he declined his player option, and his options were to sign this max back with the Washington Wizards, or he could go wherever he wants. You could go to – well, I don't know if that's really a fit, but you could go to the Lakers. I'm sure they did. You could go to the Lakers. go to the Lakers. You could go to the Celtics. Like, go, go anywhere. Stop. Go to the, the Celtics? KU. Oh, my goodness. Like, but no. Congrats, congrats to my my guy. I'm kind of sad for him, but he's he's earned in that cheddar, and that's what matters at the end of the day. You know what I mean?
1: I do feel you, and you already know what I like. I agree a thousand percent. Like, what is that uh that Damian Lillard meme? It's like God gives his toughest battles to <laughs> his toughest soldiers. See? like like, that's, so that's what I feel like is happening with Bradley Beal, like, but at this point with Bradley Beal, it's like, I even think like God would be like, dang dog, you still alive, you're still hanging in there, like, right. the Washington Wizards are so bad, but um, I do agree, I am glad that my dude got the bag, um, and that is all that matters ultimately is, you know, these guys have lives afterwards, and if, dude, okay, let me just make this argument to be just the greatest franchise player ever, that's still an accomplishment. You know what I mean? Like, is he going to get a ring? Probably not. Probably not. But ultimately, he's going to secure that bag. He he makes a difference in the community. Bradley Beale's a great guy. Um, he's an awesome player. Love to see him go the fuck off, even though his teammates are... Fucking, what's his name? Kyle Kuzma.
0: Kyle Kuzma.
1: Oh, no, Kuzma got traded, didn't he? Dude, I don't even know it. I know. Like, Sh- no. Shout out Kyle Kuzma. Um, but, yeah, Kyle shout out Beal. Just, just hang in there, dog. Just hang in there. I love you. Uh,
0: no, but, you know, speaking of uh, Washington versus and, and trades, uh, I, you know what I'm really sad about with this Bradley Beal deal? is that if Bradley Beal had gone somewhere else, Monte Morris would have been the best player on the Washington Wizards. And I would have been here for that. And I Um, would have been here for that. Now he's only the second best player (laughs) from the Washington Wizards. So with that, one more story here before we get to big old Rudy Gobert. Uh, My favorite story here of the entire thing, two-time MVP and greatest player on earth. Nikola Jokic signs the largest deal in NBA history, a five-year, $270 million Supermax contract. And he still has one year left on his current contract. So his total is worth six years, $303 million. Good Lord. We love it. You know, I mean, the dude was drafted during a Taco Bell commercial, and now he's signed the largest NBA contract. In history, I mean, what else is there to say? I
1: agree, I agree. Shout out to the back back to back MP winner. Shout out to the Joker and um, that fucking bag, dude. And six years, three hundred three, like three hundred three. Denver 303. Zipco's three hundred three. Come on, come on. It's man. too
0: perfect. I mean. Yeah, I'm almost willing to bet like Jokic had no idea that's even a thing, but it just no, like, happens to be perfect. It's just destiny, is what it is. Well, and <laughs> let me just Jokic's
1: the greatest player in Nuggets history already, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, but, I think,
0: like, like, I think the MVPs put it over the top, really.
1: Right, like he was like right there with Melo right before he won his first MVP. And then when he won his first MVP, it was like, okay, yeah, probably. And then the second one was like, oh, no, for sure.
0: Yeah. franchise
1: Best franchise player ever.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, but it's – I mean, if we don't get that dude to Chip, I just – I need him to win. That's all I want It's just – like I just want him to – and I almost have a feeling he's going to be that player – that gets a uh, championship. And he's like, I've achieved everything I came here to do. Goodbye. (laughs) I'm going to go race horses in Serbia. And like, I'm here for it. I just like, I just want that for him. You know what I mean? At this point, I don't even need the dynasty. Just take the one championship. But if we we can't get in that championship, I'm going to feel like we as a city have failed. Nikola Jokic.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, honestly, you guys need Bradley Beetle. Dude. Trade Trade Aaron Gordon. Hear me out. Trade Aaron Gordon. Trade. Ooh. Trade bones. No. no. Sorry, dog.
0: No.
1: Trade bones. For Bradley Beal and maybe like two firsts, you know. However, you know how the NBA first round picks are. And I don't know uh,
0: if we can fit all that contract though, like with his. Uh, oh, with the, oh very, yeah, I Bradley uh, Beal
1: just signed that giant fucking so contract too. Instead of bones, okay, never just far. give
0: him MPJ. Like just shoot MPJ over there.
1: For Bradley so, Beal, straight up like that. Yeah,
0: and then I keep bones. It's like a best Okay, case keep scenario. bones.
1: MPJ goes. Yeah,
0: I, I could be okay with that. That's I will I will accept those terms and conditions. That would be fantastic. No, but Bradley Veal has been one of those players that, uh, like, it feels like for what, like the past three, maybe f- even four years, Nuggets fans, like every time the free agency comes through and then every time uh, the uh, trade deadline comes through, People are Nuggets fans on, are always talking about Bradley Beal. And they're like, we want Bradley Beal and he just never leaves. Ever. I know. Like well, and then what the fuck was the point of declining
1: the player option and saying that you're gonna test free agency to just sign a five year max extension?
0: Well what was I don't I don't, I don't the- understand like I will I will start with I don't understand NBA contract stuff because it's like absurdly complicated for no reason and I want to get more into it but like I haven't but I do I am of the understanding that in order to sign this like max contract he had to to decline the the player option because that player option would have been like a continuation of the current contract so then he would have to do like an extension there's something about like the, the negotiations of it So, like, by declining the player option, then they could just do a brand-new contract, which is what he signed here. You know what I mean? It's like something along those lines. It's like that that stuff is way over my head, but, yeah. Um, I mean, well-deserved, good for him, and then good for Nikola Jokic, and we better get him that Ding championship. And then now on to the story we were teasing a little bit earlier with the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Utah Jazz trade center Rudy Gobert to the Minnesota Timberwolves for Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt, Leandro Balmaro, pick 22 of this year's draft, Walker Kessler from Auburn, shout out, and four, four, uh, four, (laughs) four first round picks, three of which are unprotected in 2023, 25, and 27, and then one top five protected pick, in 2029. So a, a ton of uh, capital goes over to the Jazz for Rudy Gobert. And, uh, before I say a piece, I want to hear what you think of okay? Um About the trade? Uh, yeah, just about all this.
1: Um, I love that Patrick Beverly got traded because yeah. I hate Patrick Beverly. True. I hate that Patrick Beverly got traded to the Jazz because I have a secret crush on the Utah Jazz. No. I don't know what this means on how the Jazz are going to rebuild around Donovan Mitchell. Um, so that's one thing I'm, ex- I'm excited to see is how they're going to put pieces around Spida to make this a new look team. Because they were consistently getting into the playoffs. And, you know, whether they just couldn't work with each other anymore or it was just time to finally do something – um, also, didn't their fucking coach just retire or, like, step down?
0: Yeah, and then they replaced him with a assistant from the Celtics whose name is Escaping.
1: So that's another thing that we're going to have to watch going into the season as well is that's a lot of change for the Utah Jazz. Um, but ultimately, as long as Jordan Clarkson's okay, um, but – yeah, I mean, I think for the Timberwolves, I think it's a, I think it's a great move, dude. I think it really, like, I, I love Anthony Edwards. I love D'Angelo Russell. Um, I think that like, Cat is like, randomly spotty sometimes, but I think he plays pretty good throughout the season. Um, you know, and I think he's kind of getting into his rhythm in the playoffs now that they're starting to become a bit more of a contender in the playoffs. Um, and I think Rudy Gobert has, like, a very consistent presence that he could bring to that locker room and bring to, um, you know, obviously what he does really well, which is, you know, fuck shit up in the middle. So, um, yeah. But, I mean, we all, uh, we all really can't wait to see what you think about this trade considering the Utah Jazz.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, for me, the number one priority here is that, like, I think the Jazz traded the wrong player, if I'm being honest. Damn. Like, just straight up. Like, I'm going to be that inflammatory about it. I think Rudy Gobert is the better player of him and uh, Mitchell. Yeah, as a Nuggets fan, you know, it makes me happy because I feel like not only did you trade the better player, in my opinion, in Gobert, because I feel like he's a defensive piece that you need to win championships. Like, you look at the Golden State Warriors of this past year, you know what I mean? They don't win this chip without Draymond. They don't win without that defensive presence, in my opinion. And I think that Gobert can be that for a team like the Timberwolves, who has Kat, who is like a historically, uh, you know, prolific Uh, score as a center from the three-point line, I would say, like particularly, you know what I mean, is his strength. But then he is not as strong on the defensive side and lacks what you really prefer from a franchise center on that end. So to me, pairing that with Rudy Gobert, who's basically like the opposite, where he is like, you know, defensive uh, player of the year type uh, defensive player and not that great on offense. I think that lets you do a lot offensively um, and well, just in general. And I think that like championship wise, he may be the piece that really puts them into being a true contender, because I think this year in the playoffs, you saw the potential. And then I think you want to see um, Anthony Edwards develop more. And if he turns into what a lot of people think that he can turn into now with Rudy Gobert, the Timberwolves are a serious team. And the funny part is, I don't even think Cat needs to be the best player. Like, you could talk about Anthony Edwards and Rudy Gobert being the two best players on a Timberwolves championship team, in my opinion. Um, but <laughs> uh, to go back to the Jazz is like, I, I kid, you know, I, I don't like the Jazz. I don't kid about that because I don't like the Jazz because I'm a Nuggets fan. But I kid about like how much I don't like them. Uh, But this is a good trade in the sense that it relieves the tension. And then you get a lot of value back for, uh, you know, first round picks with one being a top five protected and then a ton of different players back and Walker Kessler, which is the interesting part I find about the trade for Minnesota. Walker Kessler is a defensive center um, and he is probably not going to amount to too much offensively and he's certainly not like I don't project him to be a Rudy gobert but uh he kind of is a similar ish presence to like he's like a Rudy gobert light potentially he could huh. develop into that you know what I mean um as far as like he's good at blocking shots he's good at shutting down around the rim um and he's got good mobility for his size but not like fantastic mobility for his size. So I don't know, but I mean, yeah. Overall, in my opinion, I think both teams won the trade because they got what they wanted out of it. Um, But I do, I think that the Timberwolves maybe could have gotten a better value. Yes.
1: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I don't know. I guess we'll just have to see. I do. I do really like it for the Timberwolves, though. I don't know. I, I yeah
0: and a lot of people that's the funny part is i see a lot of people like crapping on this like the timberwolves got absolutely fleeced and i just don't view it that and i think that's because i'm a a lot higher obviously than a lot of people on rudy gobert like just on the impact that that level of defense can have uh on your team especially with championship aspirations because i think that's a piece you have to have to win championships is that defense And he's got now, like, people pointed out how he, like, underperformed quotations in the playoffs this year and in other years. But in Utah, everything around him defensively was failing. And now in Minnesota, he has, like, at least decent pieces. Like, we talk about Cat as being, like, terrible, terrible on defense. He's just bad for a center. Like, he's not – and obviously he can't cover on the perimeter – Like, but he's not like a leaky faucet, you know, like he's not awful. Um, And then everyone around him on the Timberwolves, like they have a decent team defensively. Um, So I think that you're going to see Gobert even maybe take a step up with the Timberwolves. I I really do like that trait for, I guess, for both sides, just because of the, like I said, they they get what they want out of it. But I'm really, really interested to see this new look, uh, Timberwolves for sure. Um, so moving on to a Lakers story here, Russell Westbrook will exercise his $47.1 million option to return to the Lakers for the 2022 season. Enrique, it's all yours. Um, I'm not
1: mad about, I'm not mad about it at all. I mean, I, I ultimately do think that, um, I mean, it's an understatement to say that Russ struggled last year. Um, do I think, Think that Russell Westbrook is the main cause of why the Lakers underperformed last year? No. Um, I think that is more on AD, if I'm being honest with you. But I will say that Russ didn't help the fact that AD was hurt a lot. And, you know, sometimes when he was on the court, AD just wasn't effective. Um, So, yeah, do I ultimately think he's going to be a Laker next year? I don't know. Um, I guess that just kind of depends, honestly, on LeBron. Um, if LeBron feels like he can keep Russell Westbrook and add someone else to the team that can help them win, like a Kyrie Irving, or because um, LeBron, LeBron's not gonna. He's, he's not going to be quiet about this. The Lakers are going to have to do something. And if I think if they can keep Russell Westbrook on the team while still getting someone, um, I think they will. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Uh, honestly, I was kind of low-key crossing my fingers about John Wall. Um, but obviously, John Wall signed to the JV team. Um, so sure. can't really can't really say too much about that, which really sucks. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm kind of like 50 50 on it because I don't necessarily think that to advance to where we'd like to be next year. I don't know that we can keep him on our team while adding someone of a high caliber player. Um, if we're able to do that and keep Russell Russell rush I'm okay with that. But, um, Yeah, I don't know. I guess it all just depends. How do you feel about it? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think people gave Russ a lot of crap last year, including myself. Um, And, you know, he got all the nicknames and all that. I think, obviously, he's still a very talented player. I think for his role in it all, like you said, it's not like he's the, like, the, the single reason that the Lakers weren't successful last year. But I do think that he could do a better job from my outside perspective, looking in at fitting into a role that helps the team and being more efficient about the shots that he takes and like the choices that he makes during the game. Because I think a lot of what you saw last year was Russ just kind of doing Russ and just doing his thing. And it results in inefficient basketball in terms of, you know, wasting possessions. And we are talking about a championship team, and especially when you're talking about a team that Russ is then being relied to be like an important piece on and when AD isn't there, when you're struggling with injuries, um, I just, I think you can't have that, you know what I mean? So if you can do a better job of like a perfect example to me, and something that I've brought up multiple times, because I think it's funny that they're on the same team, is uh, he needs to, in my opinion, Russell Westbrook needs to do exactly what Carmelo Anthony did, which was go from being a kind of like me guy and a me scorer, and wanting the ball and wanting to uh, not hog it, but at, at times, you know what I mean, and just like, do their own thing with the ball, they turned into role players or Carmelo Anthony did. He let go of the ego and he said, okay, I don't have the same ability. So I can't like lead a team anymore. What, like, how can I fit into a specific role that is going to be more beneficial? You know what I mean? I think that's exactly what Russell Westbrook needs to do um, to be more effective for the, and I don't think he's do like the exact same role uh, obviously that Carmelo did because he's not like spot up three-point shooter um, but like I think he needs to be more of like just that like playmaking point guard that makes the efficient uh, you know long two-pointer or the efficient layup and dunk or whatever you know what I mean if you can't find a passing option but like primarily just be the playmaker I think that's really what he needs I mean correct me if you feel differently
1: Yep, uh, I don't know, Doug. I don't know. I guess we're just gonna have to see.
0: Yeah, I suppose we'll see. Um, and then our next story: uh John Wall agrees to, like you brought up, a uh, two-year, thirteen-point-two million-dollar contract with the JV team, the Los Angeles Clippers. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he kind of got held hostage over in Houston for a little bit there, um, so. You know, I'm glad to see him get out, but the Clippers and the Clippers are low-key looking really good now with Kawhi coming back, PG getting going. They still got what Zubak. They got Reggie Jackson on the the, uh, second wave there, like a ton of good players that they're actually going to probably make noise this upcoming year if everybody can actually stay healthy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do love me some Kawhi Leonard. I just wish... I wish, honestly, I wish the Clippers didn't have their big three that they have because I love them all. I love Paul George. I love his nickname, PG-13. I love Kawhi Leonard. I love his robotic laugh. And I love John Wall because John, Wall's, John Wall is heavily tattooed, and I love heavily tattooed uh, anything, so... Um yeah, I'm just I'm devastated that John Wall did this to me. Um, but yeah, I mean I do I do agree. I do think the Clippers can make some noise. Um and plus Paul George was low-key um starting to look a little bit like Paul George last year, you know. Um and I'm not saying that I don't know what I'm expecting from Kawhi Leonard anymore. Um I know that he was hurt last year, um, and so I'm excited to see what happens with him coming back. But, um, yeah, and then, honestly, I, w- I guess it's just we're, we're just really going to have to see how this team comes together. Because for whatever reason, it sometimes feels like uh, Paul George and Kawhi um, have a hard time meshing, and then you throw John Wall into this mix now and then whatever other pieces they're going to bring around those guys. Um, but I also love that they got John Wall on the cheap too, so
0: it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, on all accounts, it's a good deal. It's a good fit. It's just, it's like, why the Clippers? Why, John? Why? But, yeah, I mean, you know, good for him, obviously, and good for the Clippers. And like I said, they're probably going to be making noise. I mean, as long as everybody stays healthy, it's almost a given even without John Wall, but now they're really going to be uh, a force. And now West is looking really competitive. Especially, you talk about the Nuggets being back in it, you talk about the Clippers being back in it out of injury You know, Memphis is going to be in it now. You know, Golden State is still hanging around. The Suns are going to be back in it. I mean, I'm still, I'm sure I'm still missing teams, but like, there's the West is just so stacked right now.
1: Yeah, the West is stacked. And I mean, until further notice, the Warriors are, you know, obviously they're the champs. So I don't even. I don't know how anyone beats them after the way Andrew Wiggins played last year. They're gonna have James Wiseman back. Um, Gary Payton II. I love that move for um, I love that move for Portland, and I love that move for Gary Payton II. And I love that the Warriors lost his ass. So the thing is, I think he's a decent role player, and I think he's gonna continue to develop pretty pretty well, especially uh, up in Portland. They don't ask him to do too much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll have to see what kind of, you know, how it can develop there. But and especially with Dame hanging around, that's you know, good player to be around. And then our next player here, Bruce Brown, agreeing to a two-year, thirteen million dollar contract with the Denver Nuggets. Uh, love it for the Nuggets, some solid wing presence there coming up from the Nets. Uh, yeah, I can't complain too much about that one.
1: Yeah, not too bad. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the Nuggets make small moves, um, but ones that matter, you know what I mean? So, I, I think this is a good one for the Nuggets as well.
0: Yeah, ex- absolutely, it feels a, a position of need for sure. Uh, and then the bigger trade that the Denver Nuggets made this week, trading Will Barton and Monte Morris for Kentavious Caldwell Pope and Ish Smith, uh, from the Washington Wizards, and uh. Yeah, I mean, this one, it's interesting because, so you talk about Will Barton, longest tenure Nugget, no longer at this point, but was. Uh, and he he does a lot of the same things as Contavious caldwell uh, Hope, but I think KCP is more consistent, and that was really Will Barton's uh, biggest struggle throughout his time as a Nugget was just the consistency. He would have his off games and on games, and he could really look like, you know, one of the be- like top three, four best players on the floor uh, when he was really having a good game, but he wasn't consistent with it, almost heard. Um, And so it was time for him to go. Uh, he gets sent off alongside Monte Morris, who has been a very solid uh, backup point guard for us and this year's starting point guard uh, duty. Jamal Murray being out the whole year, um, and so yeah, i mean, like I said, like I said earlier, he's pretty much like Washington's second, third best player right now, in my opinion. He he's a good player, um, so he's I'm a little sad to see him leave, and I think it was kind of more like <coughs> the, the Nuggets wanted to trade Will Barton for Kentavious Caldwell Pope, and then they also had to give up Monte Morris and just kind of like ish smith is kind of a nice sweetener because ish smith you know little tidbit for the trade uh ish smith ish oh gosh ish smith will set the record for most franchises played with an nba uh, team at 13 with his nuggets debut so uh, kind of crazy like he's just kind of bounced around the league and it, it's not like he's a bad player he's just a solid backup point guard uh that's not gonna like you know do anything too crazy for you but he gets the job done um so you're kind of taking a little bit of a downgrade when it comes to monte morris's position uh with the backup point guard but then uh, you upgrade with quintavious caldwell poker and uh, get a nice three piece, uh who can guard a little bit bigger players than just guards too um, so yeah i mean i do like this kind of like you said it's like This is almost a small move on the surface, but it's an impactful one for one of our biggest weaknesses last year. And one of the reasons that we could only win one game against Golden State. So. Um, So with that, uh, our next story here, Kyrie Irving exercises his $36 million player option to return to the Nets. And then a follow-up to that, less than 24 hours after that, Kevin Durant requests a trade from the Nets directly from owner Joe Tsai. So clearly Kevin Durant was kind of over it. I'm assuming this means that had Kyrie Irving decided, well, and it's not even a given that Kyrie Irving has decided to stay with the Nets because he still might get signed and traded. So I'm not sure if Kevin Durant filed this trade request in response to Kyrie like exercising his player option or if he was going to do it all alone, You know what I mean? But at, at this point, we're just waiting to see where he ends up. Um,
1: I mean, I just think that, honestly, like, I didn't think Kevin Durant knew what he was getting into with Kyrie. And then when he saw all the extra stuff that happened with Kyrie, I think it kind of uh, – pushed him away and like I think Kevin Durant has the skills of a superstar but doesn't have the personality of a superstar slash leader you know like I think a lot of superstars on their teams are looked to as like the leaders because they're kind of like the franchise guy the face of the franchise and I think KD kind of shies away from that and when he I think he kind of low-key thought he was gonna be able to go to Brooklyn which is um, – I don't know. I feel like Brooklyn is big but also not big um, as far as like their um, their presence in the NBA. I feel like he thought he was going to be able to go to Brooklyn and kind of uh, kind of be able to focus on ball and, and championships. And Kyrie went up there and did the Kyrie thing and um, made it a little bit too much away from ball for him. Um, couldn't really – mend the relationship he had with the team. And so, yeah, I think that it's not necessarily directly tied to Kyrie, but I think that all of Kyrie's problems from last year played a big decision in this. Um, and I don't think that he feels like he can win with them. And I think that he – I don't think that Kevin Durant is really inter- – or, like, cares about the narrative on how he wins championships – I think he just wants to play good and win championships. I think that maybe we should stop looking at KD as like anything else besides like a ultra talented role player. You know, like does that yeah. make sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, I totally get. It. I totally get it. Like for me, I'm just like of all the the people that you could have chosen to team up with. Because it's not like the Nets traded for Kyrie Irving. And uh, Kevin, bless you, Kevin Durant you. wasn't uh, – Kevin Durant was there first, right? And then Kyrie Irving came and then James Harden came. So, like, Kevin Durant had to have had at least a semi-approval before they traded for those particular players. And so I'm like, of all the players that you could have chosen to team up with, you chose, like, the two most – like drama-spurring players in the entire league, other than like Patrick Beverly. But when it comes to like superstars, those are the two most drama-spurring superstars in the league. So I'm like,
1: yeah, besides like James Harden, and they were on the team with James Harden.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I interesting choice for that, but I I do understand the angle there. And I mean Brooklyn being kind of one of those—I uh, don't want to say bottom feeder teams, but they struggled at time, especially like because they were recovering from that big uh, trade, you know, years back. Well, almost the same thing that they're now having to recover from—that they just traded for three superstars, and it did not work out for in that case age, and in this case drama. So uh, we'll have to see whether they end up keeping Kyrie. Or if Kyrie does a sign-in and trade and moves on, um, we'll, we'll just have to see how all that plays out. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, they may end up with just nothing left. And it, it's kind of sad that they, have, they were starting to build, like, a decent core before the whole uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie and then James Harden thing. Like, they were actually putting together a little something with Jared Allen, Nick Claxton, and all those players. And then Patty now Mills. they've been traded away. Patty Mills, now now they've been – I think Patty Mills is, like, one of the only ones left. Uh, you know, but most of that core got traded away. In, you know, getting, like, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and all these guys. So, yeah, we'll have to see that, uh, how that works out for the Nets, But So that's going to do us for all of our NBA news today. Told you guys, there's a ton going on in the NBA. We did not even cover even close to everything. There is a ton, a ton to talk about. Um, but we kind of tried to choose the, the biggest stuff uh, and just kind of run through that, uh, or at least the biggest stuff and then stuff pertaining to our teams. So with that, we're going to go ahead and move on to our team breakdowns. And we're going to start with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Enrique, I'll hand it off to you.
1: Awesome. Thank you, sir. So, uh, yeah, I luckily get to break down this Philadelphia Eagles team um, and I'm so excited to do it. Starting out with their GM, Howie Roseman. Uh, he's He's been hidden. He has been hidden of lately as far as draft picks go. Um, he's been able to really get the Eagles um, to go from where the Eagles were. They just won the Super Bowl and then they kind of took a step back. Right. Um, hire Nick Sirianni, do the whole thing. Um, Howie Roseman has just been a guiding influence through all those things, and he's been a pretty decent GM, so can't complain whatsoever. Uh, Nick Sirianni, it was a very puzzling uh, head coaching decision for me when he first got hired, but it honestly has everything to do with how weird he acts in his press conferences and less the football side of things because he has a pretty – Respectable, um, you know, football resume, um, but ultimately, yeah, he's got uh, he's got the Eagles looking really, really hot right now, uh, and especially coming into uh, this season, they were able to add tons of guys through the draft. One of them, uh, um, one of them, I mean, their first round pick, um, Jordan Davis, they picked at thirteen. Um, the defense, the defensive tackle out of Georgia, one of my favorite draft picks, um, in the whole draft altogether, just because of how much I love, I love that guy. He's just a huge athletic, uh, dynamic force. And I think he's going to go on to be one of the best nose tackles. Um, you know, one of the best young nose tackles in the game. Um, and he's just a huge dominant force right there in the middle. And it was one of the big things that I felt like the Eagles were lacking was, um, just, that of like an infusion of youth on that offense or on that defensive line. And, um, especially they were able to bring Fletcher Cox back this year, who has been a longtime Eagle, a longtime fan favorite and just a very vicious man himself in the middle. So being able to pair him up with a young Jordan Davis, I think is going to, you know, reap benefits for the Eagles. But anyways, moving on to the rest of their draft picks, uh, in round two, pick number 51, Cam Jurgens, a center out of Nebraska. I uh, got to love that they're able to shore up that offensive line. Uh got to give uh, Jalen Hurts some protection as much as they can. Um, and, you know, to get a very solid uh, center in the second round, um, you just got to love the picks like that because, you know, it just goes to show that the Eagles are paying attention to. You know stuff of needs and they're able to take the best player available that also fits areas of need as well um especially with um jason kelsey getting ready to you know eventually retire um so you're able to bring Jurgens in to um kind of you know apprentice underneath one of the best centers ever um you know not a bad idea um then in the third round at pick 83, they were able to steal N'Kobe Dean, who dropped. You know, Nakobe Dean was one of those linebackers that was looked as a first-round pick um, in a lot of people's eyes, including my own. Uh, I think me and Ryan had him mocked going in the first round, um, towards the end of the first round for sure. But I think we had him mocked going in the first round. Um, a lot of people had him going, you know, honestly, like, for From like 10 down some people had him going in the top 10 was it personally for me but um yeah the eagles were able to get him in the third round after dropping um and he was obviously a teammate of jordan davis which is even more of a uh plus for the eagles because they're getting two guys coming off a championship uh winning defense who already know each other know how to play with each other know the strengths um, and can you know come in and be you know impactful players for your defense right away um, as long as N'Kobe Dean um, his health stays up with him. That that's why he dropped um, was primarily due to his health. Um, so as long as Nicobe Dean stays healthy, I think we should be okay. Um, and then sixth round uh, pick one eighty one, Kyron Johnson, linebacker out of Kansas, and um, another sixth round pick. Uh, Pick 181, it's going to be, or 198, I'm sorry, uh, Grant Calcaterra, a tight end at SMU. Um, And the Eagles did have uh, some more draft picks, but they traded those draft picks. Number 18 and the 101st pick, which obviously is a first round and a third round pick for A.J. Brown from the Titans. That's the big move. From uh, the Eagles draft weekend, was trading um, the first and the third for AJ Brown and giving AJ Brown a new contract um, in addition to trading for him. You know, so, you know, it's kind of like a very similar situation with the Dolphins and Tyree Kill. I, I think, if I'm being honest with you, the Eagles got way better uh, trade value um, over the Dolphins. I just think A.J. Brown is the type of receiver that New uh, needs to play with. I think, you know, A.J. Brown has been, you know, a force in the league. not saying that Tyreek Hill hasn't, but what the Dolphins gave up for Tyreek Hill, I feel like, is just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I mean, the Dolphins literally only put four guys this year, three or four guys th- this year, um, where the Eagles were still able to draft. Jordan Davis, arguably the best nose tackle uh, in this year's class. They were still able to take, uh, you know, one of the top offensive linemen in the second round. They were still able to take, you know, one of the top linebackers um, who obviously dropped in the third round and get impact guys in the sixth round. Um, While still trading for A.J. Brown, who's been a Pro Bowl wide receiver and is going to be their new number one wide receiver, you just cannot you cannot overstate how impactful that is. And with a combination of not only their draft class, who I think is going to come in right away and give them quality snaps and quality looks of, especially Jordan Davis and the Kobe Dean. Um, you're also getting AJ Brown, who you're also going to pair with, um, you know, Devonte Smith, your first round pick, your first round and top 10 pick, you know, I think they took him sixth overall. So yeah you're um you're mixing aj brown with Devonte smith who's going to help develop Devonte. help give him more open looks i just it i cannot tell you how much of a win i thought this was for the eagles um and with it without being biased because i thought the jets had the best draft weekend i would put you know right up there with the ravens and um the saints i i would say that you know the the eagles had a very very successful draft weekend I think a big part of that was trading for AJ Brown successfully. Um, And I mean, you weakened, you know, you weakened the Titans significantly by doing that. Not that uh, the Eagles and Titans are necessarily rivals in any way, but, you know, if you're going to uh, be possibly seeing them in the Super Bowl or possibly, you know, um, just able to take a power chip away from another good team is just always a thing. So, um, but after, uh going off about their draft for a good minute i'll get into our roster now so sitting at the top of the quarterback depth chart is going to be jalen hurts obviously um who's coming to a very pivotal season um we're really we really need to see jalen Hurts step up this year um and i think he will personally um then second string gardner Minshew, who was fighting for snaps um and has been trying to start I don't think that he's going to be able to here in Philly, but, you know, a good quality backup behind Jalen Hurts who can do similar things to him in case Jalen wasn't able to play in a game. Uh, Then we have Carson Strong rounding out that room, uh, getting to their running backs. We got Miles Sanders uh, coming off of... uh, know relatively inconsistent injury riddled season and he's had a few of those so far so he's looking to come back healthy uh boston scott who's able to fill in admirably for him i think kenneth gainwell to round that out uh wide receiver wise we got Devonte smith uh we got a.j brown uh who just got who just came over from the Titans, like we just said quez watkins zach pascal greg ward jalen rieger and then the De- devin allen uh, Devon Allen, um, he's probably more so going to be looking to, uh, make an impact on special teams, kick return punt returner because, uh, Olympic gold or Olympic medalist, uh, for track or something along those lines. Uh, so just super, super quick guy. Um, wouldn't look to him too much as a wide receiver threat besides, you know, just some crazy go routes and stuff like that. Um, then. Getting into the tight end room there, we got Dallas Goddard, Grant Salcaterra, the, uh, the rookie tight end, J.J. Arciega-Whiteside, who is a wide receiver convert. You know, so used to play wide receiver, converting over to tight end. Um, hasn't done too bad. And then Jack Stoll, just to back those guys up, give them, um, you know, a, a different look. Then left tackle, we got Jordan Maliata, Andre Dillard, and Raven Clark, who, by the way, is their swing tackle. So he's going to play right tackle and left tackle, back up Lane Johnson down there, um, over on the right side as well. And then uh, getting into our left guards, uh, we got Landon Dickerson and Jack Driscoll, who um, plays guards, guard and tackle as well. Um, that's one thing that the Eagles have is a nice um, nice stable of, you know, versatile guys on their offensive line who can play a lot of these positions. Um you know, so and that's the nice thing about having versatile guys like that that can play on both sides is you just don't have to carry as many guys on your roster as far as offensive linemen. Um, and then center, we've got to go with the All Pro Jason Kelsey, and then backing him up is going to be the r- rookie Cam Jurgens. Um, right guard, we got Isaac Sumalo, and then with uh, rounding out the right tackles is uh, Lane Johnson. Um, and then yeah, like I said, just having having those guys be able to play multiple roles on the offensive line is huge. Um, getting to the defensive side of things on the defensive line, we got Brandon Graham who was hurt last year. He's coming back. Uh, Fletcher Cox who was just re-signed. Uh, Javon Hargreaves, um, Josh Sweat, defensive end. Derek Barnett, defensive end. Jordan Davis, defensive tackle. Milton Williams, defensive tackle. Noah Ellis, defensive tackle, and uh, Teron Jackson, uh, defensive tackle, or defensive end, sorry. Um, so lots of lots of pass rushers on that defensive line, um, and then even more so once you start looking into what Jordan Davis can do, um, just some big, big men on that defensive line as well. Um, linebacker, you got Hassan Reddick, uh, newly signed free agent, and Although he's listed as a linebacker, he's going to line up on a lot of different spots um, for the Eagles on that defense, just because they're going to really look to maximize his pass rush capabilities. Um, and then you got Kaiser White coming over from the Chargers, who I, I believe you were saying uh, was uh, is a big addition for the um, for the Eagles coming over from the Chargers, because one of your buddies was saying that uh, Kaiser White was playing really good for them. So. Uh, I look yeah. for Kaiser White to be an impact player for them as well, um, and then you got T.J. Edwards, Sean Bradley, third round uh, pick Nicobe Dean, Davison Tyler, Davison Taylor, I should say, and then Kyron Johnson. Um, wrapping up the linebackers there, so just real, real, real nice variety type linebackers. Got guys that can tackle, got guys that can uh, play the pass rush a little bit, like Hassan Reddick. And I honestly wasn't very high on their uh, linebacker room until I got more into it and kind of saw who they had. And yeah, I'm I'm relatively comfortable with their linebackers right now. Um, then their corners are going to be Darius Slade Jr., James Bradbury coming over from the Giants, Zach McPherson, Avante Maddox, Tay Gowen, and Andre Chattery. Um, Andre Chachery is probably going to play a lot of special teams filling for uh different roles on the team um safeties we got marcus epps anthony harris and kavon wallace uh long snapper we got rick lovato kicker we got jake elliott and then our punter is going to be arian slopes and that kind of wraps it up for the roster i mean i think the eagles have tons of talent on this roster i think the addition of brain james badbury um, and uh, Slay Junior is going to be a very deadly one back there um, in the secondary, and I really do think that this defense can um, can make some noise. So I'm really excited to see to see um, to see what happens there. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty much um, that's you know the projected 15 man three roster um, that I got for the Eagles going forward. Um, so some questions about this roster that I have. Um, the first one that I'm, uh, that I ask myself is how good is Jalen Hurts? And I'm not, I'm, I'm a huge believer in Jalen Hurts. I think he's going to take a step forward, but I think a lot of this Eagles team, uh, rides on him, obviously being quarterback number one. Um, so I think if he's able to take a step forward and continue to develop on the, uh, upward training arrow, then I think the Eagles are going to be just fine. And I think that they're going to, you know, get back into the playoffs again this year. Um, But what we need to see is just because he was able to get them into the playoffs, we need to be able to see him be competitive in the playoffs. Obviously he had to play Tom Brady down in Tampa and it was a very ugly game for the Eagles. Um, But that's, that's kind of the stuff that we need to see Jalen correct um, and not saying that everything was on Jalen, there was a lot of dropped balls, which hopefully having AJ Brown come into the game or coming into the season, hopefully that's going to help with that. Um, having another offensive, um, weapon, um, uh, besides Devont- a rookie Devontae Smith, who's now going to his second year, um, and besides Dallas Goddard, you know, is going to be real nice. Hopefully, we get Miles Sanders back nice and healthy as well. But I think a lot of this uh, comes down to Jalen Hurts and if he takes a step forward or a step back in his development. Um, another question that I have is how fast can the offense find, uh, you know, decent chemistry? Obviously, with a new wide receiver one um, and Devontae Smith coming into his second year, you know, you have a lot of new uh, moving pieces in the offense. And sometimes it takes a little bit for an offense to kind of gel. And I think depending on how long, um, you know, and we'll get into their schedule here shortly. But depending on how long that offense takes to gel, you know, going into the season, if they're able to play really well into the preseason and come out that first game um, against Detroit hot, then I think I think we'll we'll be all right going into the rest of the year. But if it takes a few weeks for them to start jelling, their schedule eventually gets harder. It has has a nice up and down peak in it, but um, it starts off relatively easy and then it gets into some harder games. And so if it takes a long time for your offense to gel, are you getting into these harder games, um, you know, that are going to be harder to win anyways, and you've already lost some of the easier games that you could have won? That's one thing that I worry about a little bit with this Eagles offense with, Everything that's got uh, that's going into it now, um, but with that being said, if the Eagles are able to uh, gel and get things going, I think they arguably have one of the um, best offenses in the a- NFC East. Um, and you know, I think that a lot of the Cowboys' offense goes through CD Lamb, and Dak Prescott, um, especially now with Amari Cooper being gone. Um, I do know that they have Dalton Schultz and Ezekiel Elliott, but Ezekiel Elliott is, has, you know, struggled the last few years, to say the least. I, I do think that he has an opportunity to come back this year, um, but you know, we could say the same things about Miles Sanders uh, with the Eagles. And arguably, I think Miles Sanders is a bit younger and has a bit more uh, explosion, um, at least in his steps right now, than Ezekiel Elliott does. Even though I love Zeke and I think he's still a, a Can be a very decent option at running back for the Cowboys when he's healthy. Um, And then, you know, obviously on the Giants, you got and we'll get into the Giants obviously today, but you got take on Barkley, uh, Kenny Galladay, you know, um, and really, that's it. You got some other guys that can make some plays for the Giants, but, you know, with their quarterback play this year um, and going forward, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to fully uh, utilize all those weapons that they can potentially have on that Giants offense. So, you know, if Jalen's able to take a step forward, this offense is able to mesh, uh, you know, guys come back healthy and stay healthy. Um, You have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, I think that's a very Jalen hurts is a, a very mobile dual threat quarterback himself. Um, Devonte and him already got the Alabama connection. Um, I think, I think the Eagles offense could be very, very scary if they're able to, you know, kind of get all these things together. Um, and then, you know, another thing that this kind of reminds me of, especially when, whenever the Eagles get good like this is um, it's very Vince young dream team esque. And, um, the reason I say that is because, you know, way back when, when the Eagles got good, uh, they had Vince Young as their backup quarterback, collected not me awesome one, a, a whole bunch of other guys, um, you know, with James Bradbury coming along and, you know, already having Darius Slade the last couple of years, Jalen Hurts now, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard. You know, uh, you have a lot of well-known players on this on this team now, Jordan Davis, um, you know, coming from the championship defense of Georgia, Nekobi Dean um, as well. You know, there's there's a lot of guys on this team, you know, that are kind of names and even more so the, the expectations of this team are going to be high. I, I, I see the Eels competing for the NFC East crown, if not winning it. Um, you know, I think the only competition they have is going to be uh, the Cowboys, I think the commanders could be in the run for it, depending on how good Carson Wentz is um, and how healthy Chase Young comes back from his injury. But I really do see the Eagles um, kind of, you know, leading the pack here with, um, with the Cowboys in regards to who's going to win the division and, you know, how, when those expectations come down on the Eagles, are, are, is the team going to be able to handle it? And is the team going to be able to um, rise to the occasion and fulfill those uh, pressures? Um, and yeah, I just think on another note, in addition to that, is that the defense could be really, really scary along with the offense if um, they're able to mesh as well. You know, Jordan Davis, Nicobie Dean, Hassan Reddick, uh, you got two lockdown corners, and Darius Slay. Um, you know, you can ask Bronco fans. Uh, Darius Slay is a very good corner. You know, he picked off Teddy Bridgewater. I ran that shit back, um, you know. So Darius Slay is a very good corner, and he's held down the Eagles' secondary um, pretty much all by his lonesome, you know. So having Hassan Reddick come in there to be able to, um, you know, add a pass rush, um, you know, pass rush specialist. We talked about Hassan Reddick a lot when we broke down the Panthers because Hassan Reddick was their pass rush along with Brian Burns last year. You know, so with him coming to the Eagles now um, and with the guys that the Eagles already have, uh, especially Brandon Graham, coming back from an ACL or an Achilles injury last year, you got Jordan Davis on the defensive line, who's going to eat space and who's an athletic freak himself who can kind of get after the quarterback. Um, and then you got Fletcher Cox, who's coming back, you know, so James Bradbury, who was a very good corner for the Giants and someone that the Giants didn't necessarily want to give up, but, you know, because of some cap. Um, some cap issues, they they had to. Um, So I think that the Eagles' defense can be very, very good right off the bat. And I I honestly think that the Eagles' defense um, is going to be the unit that's leaned on a little bit, you know, with the offense still kind of coming into its own and Jalen Hurts still kind of figuring out some of his stuff. I think that the Eagles' defense is in a better opportunity to start off good right away just because they're not necessarily asking – um they're they're not reliant so much on such a big question mark like Jalen Hurts. And I and and I know it sounds like I'm very unsure of Jalen Hurts. I'm not as much, but I do think that this is going to be the year where we find this year and next year we're gonna find out if he's good or not. Um and I think this is this is a very big year for him, and I just don't want that to be um, you know, I, I don't want that to be taken as an understanding because I think it's almost like the the mit like it is like the piece for the Eagles is it how good he is. Um because although this roster is very good and has a lot of a lot of depth in it as well, um you know your your football team lives and dies off of quarterback number one. And in this instance quarterback number one literally wears number one. Um, so Jalen Hurts is going to be looked to to do a lot of different things. So um yeah with that being said, Ryan what do you think about the Eagles roster?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, great job breaking down that roster. And, I mean, it's one that throughout this offseason we've talked about multiple times as they've uh, added players here and there in free agency and the draft. And they're looking really, really nice, both offensively and defensively. You talk about the A.J. Brown trade. You know what I mean? You talk about uh, all the players they added defensively both in the draft and then in free agency with James Bradbury and – uh, helping out Darius Slay, like you said, was kind of uh, holding down that secondary on his own. And now he's got some more help and that defense as a whole is looking to be really, really nice. So I could not agree more with uh, everything you said there. Um, yeah, it, it really does come down to Jalen Hurts. I think we share pretty much the same opinion on Jalen Hurts. We really like him and like, I'm hoping that he can be the long-term answer. But he's got to prove it. And uh, like I said, this year, maybe the next year is going to be when we really find out uh, what his ceiling is going to be. Uh, But, I mean, you know, I think there's some people that will act like he's been, like, bad. And I I will remind people because it's, like, it's crazy to just – got to, like, humble yourself sometime with uh, with the takes you see on, like, Twitter and things like that is you'll see people slander – Jalen Hurts or like Tua and the Eagles and the, the Dolphins were both over 500 last year with Tua and Jalen and then you have people saying they, they like just can't even win games at all meanwhile you look at like the Denver Broncos over the last few years and we haven't hit 500 since like 2017 with a multitude of, of quarterbacks so like you know people will tell you Jalen Hurts sucks or Tua sucks, but sometimes you got to like actually look at the fact that the Eagles went nine and eight last year with Jalen Hurts and a significantly less talented roster than what they're coming into this year with. And with a new like scary weapon in AJ Brown to add to it. Like these Eagles are going to look really interesting. So I, yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with more with what you broke down. yeah, this is going to be a super fun team for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, with that being said, I guess we can uh, get into get into their schedule a little bit. Um, so week one, starting out right away, <clears throat> you're playing Detroit at home um, in Detroit. And, you know, although Detroit has added some things, I still think that they are still lacking as far as a football team. Um, so I, I, I do think that the Eagles will be able to get a win there at Detroit. Then we're going back to Philadelphia to play Minnesota. I think that's probably going to be another dub. Um, and then this is at week three, this is out Washington. Um, this game could go either way. And this is one of those games where I'm saying that we're going to see how good that offensive is meshing at this point um, because the rival at home um, or on the road, I guess I should say for the Eagles, if you're able to knock off Washington here, um, which, you know, it, it, it It shouldn't be a close game because the Eagles have far more talent than uh, the commanders do, but it, I think it will be a closer game because, you know, Carson Wentz could randomly go off. They got scary, Terry. They have a very good defense. Um, But I still think that the Eagles will be able to pull that win off. So I got them at three and O right now going into week four uh, with Jacksonville coming into Philly. Um, Jacksonville obviously sucks. Uh, so that's going to be a dub for the Eagles. Now Week Five is where we start getting interesting because Week Five they go into Arizona. I think Arizona at home is going to be tough to beat, um, even without DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think with the addition of Hollywood Brown, I think that's going to make that a little less. Um, I don't now. Don't get me wrong, DeAndre Hopkins is you know one of the best wide receivers in the league, and I think that his impact is going to be profound on that. Uh, on that offense, but I think with the addition of Hollywood Brown and some of uh, the stuff that the Cardinals have added to the draft and the offseason, I think that they can still get a win over the Eagles. Um, now week six, Dallas at home. This is going to be one of those toss-up games. Um, I I think that the Eagles might – could win – Um, And I think that they'll probably end up splitting their series with Dallas. I think that the Eagles get the win at home. um, And then going into week seven, that's their bye. So, you know, they're going to be able to take a nice, decent rest, um, you know, a good ways through the season. Then coming back, you got Pittsburgh at home um, or Pittsburgh and Philly. Um, I think that's going to be a win for them, depending on how Kenny Pickett's playing. Then you're going into Houston. Houston obviously still sucks. So another win. Uh, then you get Washington again. I think a, another win, uh, especially with them coming into Philly. Then you're, week 11, you got the Colts. I think that's going to be a loss. That's in Indy. Uh, then week 12 against Green Bay. I think that's another loss. Week 13, you're playing against Tennessee. Uh, even at home, I still think that's a loss. Um Week 14, you have the Giants, I, I think, in New York. You can still get it done. I got them winning. Week 15 at Chicago, I have them winning as well. Uh, week 16 in Dallas, I have them losing, and that's where I have those seasons splitting with the Cowboys, um, with them losing in Dallas and them winning at home. Week 17, you have New Orleans, which I also see as a loss. I think this is going to be a Saints team that's you know, making a playoff push and i think that um you know that's that's playoff football time so i think it's going to be really close but i, I do think that the, the saints win um and then week 18 uh, the giants depending uh we're, we're not sure if that game is going to be at home or away yet but i still think that they can get a win over the giants um just a couple things about the uh schedule um you know so with that being said i have them going 11 at 6 12 and 5 you know depending on how things go, um, I think the Arizona game's huge. The Tennessee game's huge, just because those are games that are winnable. You can beat those teams. It just, you know, can you get over the hump? Can you do enough to beat those teams? The I think the Eagles on paper versus Arizona and Tennessee, you can beat those teams. And if you're able to beat those teams, that makes you 13 and four. You know what I mean? So, you know, that's that's a very strong schedule um, for the Eagles. Um, and I also do think that there's a chance that you can beat the Cowboys twice. Um, I do think the Cowboys have talent. Um, I think they're lacking a little bit on the defensive side more so than the Eagles are. Um, I know that, you know, they have Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. I think Trayvon Diggs gets burnt a lot. And gives up a lot of plays, although he makes interceptions. I think Trayvon Diggs gives up a lot of plays. Micah Parsons is a huge part of the defense, Demarcus Lawrence, et cetera, et cetera. I think that the Eagles can match those guys now. I think the Eagles, with Darius Slay and James Bradbury, can match their secondary. Anthony Harris, uh, you know, covering the top there as their safety. And then with Nicole Dean, Hassan Reddick, you know, Jordan Davis, all those guys, uh, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, all those guys on the defensive line. I think can match the Cowboys pass rush and the Cowboys uh, run defense as well. So um, you can possibly take both those Dallas games. And again, that makes your schedule even now we're talking about maybe, you know, 15 and three, you know, like the Eagles have a really nice schedule. Um, They play a few really good teams and their divisions weak, you know, and I think the Cowboys are, very 50-50 on how they're going to play the Eagles, um, especially with how good the Eagles have had as an offseason. So um, my accurate um, schedule prediction for the Eagles is going to be 11-6, and six, um, possibly 12-5, and five, leaning on 11-6, and six, though. Um, yeah, Ryan, what do you think about the Eagles' schedule?
0: I, I think that's really reasonable, 11-6, and 12-5, and, five, and um, you know, like – you know you talked about with that roster it's a really exciting team that made a lot of additions and if Jalen Hurts can uh, you know take a leap and keep playing well and get even better uh, they've got uh, an opportunity in front of them to uh, rack up a lot of wins Uh, so we'll just have to see what happens but I I would tend to agree with about that uh, you know 11 or 12 wins and uh, yeah I'm just excited to see them uh, come game day so With that, uh, I suppose we'll move right on to the New York Giants. Uh, Their general manager, Joe Schoen, and then head coach, Brian Dable, uh, both new arrivals this year, uh, fired the previous staff there. Uh, So, you know, a lot of new changes for the New York Giants come this year. Obviously, Brian Dable comes over from the Buffalo Bills, their offensive coordinator. Uh, and, And, you know, so exciting stuff going on. We'll have to see if uh, they can make a positive change for this Giants organization that since uh, Eli Manning retired, has kind of struggled to, you know, stay uh, in the spotlight, I guess. Uh, So their draft class, we can start with uh, pick number five in the first round, Kayvon Thibodeau, a defensive end out of Oregon. Uh, Obviously, very talented, uh, talented player. Excited to see what he can do. Uh, at number seven, just two picks later, Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama, uh, arguably the best offensive tackle in the entire draft. Uh, number two, or Round two, number four, 43, rather, Wandale Robinson, wide receiver out of Kentucky. Uh, round three, number 67, Joshua Azudu, offensive guard out of North Carolina. Round number 381, Cordell Flott, and then round four, 112, Daniel Bellinger, a t- uh, tight end out of San Diego. Round four, pick 114, Dane Belton, a safety out of Iowa. Round five, pick 146, Micah McFadden, inside linebacker out of Indiana. Round five, 147, DJ Davidson, defensive tackle out of Arizona. Round five, 173, Marcus McKethin, guard out of North Carolina. And then finally, round six, 182, Darian Beavers uh, inside linebacker out of Cincinnati. A lot of draft picks. Like, I I think that might be, out of all the teams that we've covered, like the most draft picks. They they drafted a lot of players. Um, But quite a few players that uh, could potentially make an impact. And a lot of players in uh, spots that, uh, you know, they're missing uh, bodies that they needed. Um, and so going into that, uh, key departures of this offseason. So James Bradbury, high cornerback, played 99% of your snaps. He's gone, obviously. We just talked about him. Um, and then Logan Ryan, a safety, uh, played 85% of your snaps. Kyle Rudolph, tight end, played 45%. Nate Solder, your left tackle, played 84%. Austin Johnson, in, inside uh, defensive lineman, played 56%. Billy Price, center, played 89% of the snaps. Devontae Booker, a former Bronco uh, running back, played 47%. Evan Ingram, who was actually their leading overall receiver, like leading in receiving yards, uh, but it was a tight end, played 65% of the snaps for the Giants last year. And then Jabril Peppers, a safety, 19%. Will Hernandez, a guard, at 95%. Lorenzo Carter and edge at 52%. And then finally, Matt Skura, a center at 69%. And I mean, kind of like the draft picks, there's just a ton of players here. Clearly the uh, new GM, the new head coach, they kind of wanted to, you know, clear house a little bit and uh, add some of their own guys in there. Uh, obviously some of those players, even though they played a lot of snaps, were players that you were kind of expecting to be on their way out. Like Nate Solder, uh, and, you know, some of them, like Will Hernandez, Billy Price. Uh, so, you know, not some of them were not surprising. And then some of them, like you said, with James Bradbury, it was just a situation where uh, with their cap, they're just kind of trying to reset and rebuild right now uh, with this new staff in place. Uh, so ended up getting rid of him, but added some nice players in the draft. And then now we can go over their roster. So starting at quarterback, Daniel Jones, obviously a third-year quarterback looking to still make a name for himself. Uh, this will probably be his last year to figure it out. And then behind him, Tyrod Taylor uh, comes over from Houston, longtime veteran. Um, that'll be a good presence to be in Daniel Jones' ear for sure. Uh, David Webb behind him. And then the run back room. Saquon Barkley, obviously one of the best in the league. Matt Breda comes over from Buffalo, probably a guy that Dable likes, I assume. Uh, Gary Brightwell. And then to Sean Corbin is an undrafted free agent. At wide receiver, you have Kenny Galladay and then Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Toney for now, although I believe he's like made it known that he doesn't want to be on the Giants anymore. I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition or if he's just like talking and nothing's going to come out of it, but uh, Kadarius Toney is on this team for now. And then behind him, Wandale Robinson, your draft pick, the second round, number 43, uh, CJ Board as well, Richie James, and then Darius Slayton. And, yeah, I mean, so they've they've got a decent wide receiver room, and this is arguably, like, the deepest room in the entire roster. Um, But at the same time, they're not really, like – they don't have, like, a a superstar guy at the moment. I think – when you look at Kadarius Toney and even Sterling Shepard, those are two guys that you think maybe can develop into something like that. Uh, but they aren't there right now. And Kenny Galladay is a solid receiver, but not like a superstar. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, they've got some def- decent weapons, but uh, nothing like just pops out at you. And then at tight end, Daniel Bellinger, your fourth-round draft pick, number 112, is going to be the likely starter for you. Um, after you talk about the key departures, Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph, both of your top two tight ends are gone. Um, so now, you know, that was a very important pick to make in that draft because otherwise you're looking at Ricky Seals-Jones as your number one, uh, who's currently your number two. And then they also bring in Jordan Aikens from Houston. So looking at their offensive line here, uh, left tackle you have Andrew Thomas, Behind him, Joshua Azouj, the third-round pick, number 67. Devery Hamilton. And then Roy Mbeteca. Sorry, butchered that. He's an undrafted free agent. And then left guard, Shane Lemieux. Jamil Douglas comes over from Washington. And then Ben Bredesen comes over as well. Uh, center, you have John Feliciano. Max Garcia comes over from Arizona. And then Nick Gates. And right guard, you have Mark Glowinski comes over from Indiana, or Indianapolis, rather. Uh, Marcus McKethan is your fifth-round draft pick, number 173. And then Josh Rivas, an undrafted free agent. And then finally, right tackle, you have the first-round rookie, Evan Neal, your likely starter there. Uh, Matt Gono comes over from Atlanta. Corey Cunningham, and then Matt Parra. And this offensive line, something that the Giants have struggled with and has uh, not only made Daniel Jones's life hard, but Saquon's too, and has struggled with his production and contributed to uh, his injury history with the uh, struggle of trying to get a, a decent line there. But the bright side for uh, this Giants team is that with this new staff, and uh, clearing not some of those names you talk about, Billy Price, talk about Nate Solder, talk about Will Hernandez, some of those guys that were kind of sticking around on the Giants roster, uh, they were just not doing well enough. Um, and even though they were veteran names and established names, uh, there needed to be changed. And so at least there's been change and they brought in some bodies. Uh, I don't know if this line is going to be good this year. Um, you have pieces. I'm excited to see what Evan Neal can do. But they're at least adding bodies and they're trying to see what works. You know what I mean? And it's, it's change, you know. So it, it's a positive in that sense for them, uh, for sure. And this offense overall, uh, we've got talent. It's like this team as a whole, it's just in a transitionary stage. Um, so with that, we will move on to the defense. We we'll go down the defense, starting with the safeties. Uh, free safety have Xavier McKinney, Jaron Williams, and then Yusuf Corker. At strong safety, Julian Love, Dane Belton, your fourth round draft pick at number 114, and then Henry Black comes over from Green Bay. At cornerback, you have Aaron Robinson, Adore Jackson, Michael Jaquette, and then Rudarius Williams, and then inside linebacker Blake Martinez, Micah McFadden, Carter Coughlin, and Darian Beavers. At uh, the edge spot there, Kayvon Thibodeau, Aziz Olujari, Jihad Ward comes over from Jacksonville, Ellerson Smith and then Quincy Roach. And at your uh, defensive lineman spot, you have Dexter Williams or Dexter Lawrence, rather, and then Leonard Williams, the two big boys leading it off there. David Moa, Jalen Holmes, and then Jabari Ellis is an undrafted free agent. And then uh, Nose Tackle, you have Justin Ellis comes in from Baltimore, and DJ Davidson, your fifth round uh, pick at number 147, and then Christopher Hinton. Uh, and finally as well, your kicker and punter, Graham Gano and Jamie McGillin. And yeah, so this defense, they've they've lost a lot of bodies. Uh again, you go back to those key departures, you talk about James Bradbury played ninety-nine percent of those uh snaps, Logan Ryan, eighty-five percent, you know, um Austin Johnson fifty-six percent, Jabril Peppers nineteen, uh Lorenzo Carter, fifty-two percent. So they they lost a lot of impact players and uh, like I said with the offense it's in a transitionary stage and they're adding players uh, seeing what works I'm excited to see about some of these rookies when it comes to DJ Davidson um, you know right now your starter in the middle there is Justin Ellis uh, who come out, came over from Baltimore and it's not necessarily proven as a player and so if DJ Davidson comes on strong in camp you could see him starting. Uh, immediately potentially just depending on what happens in camp Um, and then you talk about uh, in the safety spot Dane Belton he's an interesting player as well Uh, he played a lot of different roles in college and so he could be somebody that uh, although doesn't project to start at the strong safety spot uh, maybe he can make an impact uh, somewhere on the secondary maybe even a cornerback spot because they're a little bit uh, you know weak there so maybe he can make an impact there Uh, But, yeah, I mean, you look at that cornerback room, Aaron Robinson, Adoree Jackson, Michael Chiquette, Rodarius Williams, just not a lot there. Adoree Jackson is solid. Aaron Robinson is a guy. um, And, yeah, I mean, certainly if Dane Belton can help out, that strengthens that room a little bit. And they're just looking to kind of, like I said, recover and rebuild at this point. Um, And, you know, that secondary used to be a strength of the giants in these last few years, but, um, it's really been kind of depleted at this point. And so, uh, they're going to have to rebuild it, but a uh, couple storylines here on this roster. Uh, so first one, so much youth across this roster, how quick can they grow up? Uh, I talked a lot about the new staff there and, and all the additions and just uh, trying to rebuild this thing. And, uh, their amount of success is going to depend on how quickly a lot of those players in key positions can, um, you know, play well, especially when you talk about like that secondary with a lot of these young corners, uh, a lot of these young safeties, things like that. And you're relying on those guys. uh, That's going to be a struggle for you. If those guys are getting picked on in a very pass heavy uh, wide receiver quarterback, rich NFL uh, right now. So It's one of those things that's really going to determine, uh, along with uh, Daniel Jones, which is my second story here, it's going to determine their success, uh, really. So, our second story uh, you know, Daniel Jones, if he plays much better, a lot of those easier games, or I'm sorry, wrong spot here. Daniel Jones is probably his last year uh, as the starter to prove himself, is he the quarterback of the future for the Giants, or is he not? Um, We talked a little bit about this earlier with Daniel Jones, and it's like he has not been, like, awful for them, and he showed flashes, and he has athletic ability, but he hasn't had the consistency with it and has made a lot of repeated dumb mistakes and also really struggles with the turnover battle. He's uh, very fumble-prone and has not – uh, to this point in his career, uh, improved that a whole lot. But this is really going to probably be his last year to uh, make that change. And if he doesn't, I would expect the Giants to pursue other options. I think it was kind of one of those situations where Dable is just like, I'm going to let him, because he's he's doing his thing, I'm going to let him finish out this last year, let him have the full off season, do his thing, and then if it doesn't work out, then Dable will bring in whoever he needs to bring in. But uh, we'll, we'll see if he can pull it off and maybe be the Giants' long-term starter. Um, and then my third story here, new GM and new head coach gutted a lot of the existing roster and added a lot of the new young talent. Will their new direction be better? And I mean, it's kind of, you know, talked a lot about that throughout the entire thing. But it's it's one thing to say, okay, they're doing this and they, there is change. Will the change be good? You know, I, I think they haven't liked where they've been out with the last few head coaches. And so I think Brian Dable is a very respected coach and, um, Joe, you know, Joe showen obviously respected as well. And We'll just have to see uh, with time, whether uh, they're going to end up being a successful uh, duo there over with the giants, but uh, yeah, at least they're doing something so far. Uh, so Enrique, what are your thoughts on this roster?
1: Um I, I agree with a lot of your points on the roster. I do think um the only difference is I I think that this is for sure Daniel Jones' last chance to prove if he can be a starter or not in the league. I do not think that he's going to prove enough. Um I and I do think that unfortunately the Giants are very limited by him. I do like yeah. that they had so many draft picks. I do like that they um invested so heavily into the roster. I love their first round. I feel like their first round uh, really set them up for uh, to have two uh, blue chip franchise players on uh, both sides of the offensive and defensive line, Um, you know, with Kayvon Thebedou and uh, Evan Neal. Evan Neal is probably my favorite tackle um, in the whole draft uh, coming out of Alabama. So um, I have a lot of belief in him. And I think KT is made for New York. I, I think that he has a personality for New York. Um, I think he's exciting. I think he's going to add a lot of flash and pass rush to um, this Giants defensive line. That's not half. I mean, it's not half good. It's not half bad either. Um, I think Leonard Williams is nice. Um, I think that you hit on perfectly as far as their secondary goes. Um, I think their the secondaries, it, it looks rough for sure. At least on paper, their secondary looks really really rough right now. Um, Xavier McKinney's you know a, a bright spot in that de- uh, on that secondary for me, uh, just cause I like him a lot. Uh, Julian love as well. Um, I don't mind Blake Martinez as much as, as far as linebackers go, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just hope that the giants, they have their pieces there. And I think honestly, if they give the roster to Tyrod Taylor, they'd be in, uh, a much better hands. But, um, you know, I guess we'll just have to see how the season goes. But otherwise, yeah, I just think you did a great job breaking them down. Um, and honestly, I thought the Giants' roster was a lot, a lot worse uh, condition than they are. And I think that they, you know, are a few pieces away from not necessarily being good, but being better than you know, four and eighteen or four and fourteen or whatever they were last year. So um, four and thirteen. Sorry. Um, so yeah, I just. I, I like the inside look on the Giants, even though I hate them. Um, And yeah, I guess we'll just see what uh, Daniel Jones and the new GM and the new head coach can do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's one of those things where like, uh, I'm sure we'll probably end up seeing Tyrod uh, throughout the season just because I mean, I'm kind of with you, like I would love to see it for Daniel Jones's sake, but I, I don't think that he's going to be the long-term future of the Giants. And so I would not be surprised to see uh, Tyra Taylor take over the team at some point uh, throughout the season here, but uh, we will just have to see. All right. With that, we can move on to the Giants schedule. So as Enrique mentioned, their 2021 record was four and 13 and, uh, We could just jump right into it. So week one, they're at Tennessee Titans. I have that as a loss. Week two, they're versus the Carolina Panthers. I have that as a win, but I do think that that game could honestly go either way, Um, just depending on how well the the Panthers are playing, if Sam Darnold finds his footing uh, or Daniel Jones finds his footing and vice versa. So we'll just have to see how that one plays out. Week three versus the Dallas Cowboys at home, I have that as a loss. Week four versus the Chicago Bears, I do have that as a win. Week five versus Green Bay Packers, I have those at a loss. Week six versus Baltimore Ravens at home, a loss. Week seven at Jacksonville Jaguars, I I have this as a loss, to be honest with you. I know the Jaguars oh. are not that great, but I think that Trevor Lawrence with uh, Doug uh, Peterson as his new head coach uh, is not going to be as held back as he was before, and um, I'm, I'm kind of optimistic about maybe what the Jaguars can become with new direction. So uh, I think this is one that could go either way and that uh, the Giants are going to have to play hard for, and um, they could win it, but I have it as a loss. Week 8, they're at the Seattle Seahawks. I have that as a loss too, uh, but that's one that I do think could go either way as well because uh, the Seahawks don't know what they're doing with the quarterback right now. If they happen to pick up Baker Mayfield, that's for sure a win though, but they don't have Baker Mayfield right now. So it's either Geno Smith or Drew Law. So, week nine uh, is their bye week there. Pretty much smacked out in the middle of the season. Uh, week 10 versus the Houston Texans at home. I have that as a win. Week 11 versus the Detroit Lions. I have this as an L because I, I actually am high on the Detroit Lions too. I think they're kind of on the up and up, they're adding talent. Jared Goff is a quarterback that can win, um, and I, I I don't know. I think that they, the Lions are going to be not competitive for like a playoff spot or anything, but better than they were last year. Uh, week 12 at Dallas Cowboys on a Thursday game, I have that as a loss. Week 13 versus the Washington Commanders at home, I have that as a loss. Week 14 versus Philadelphia Eagles, I have that as a loss as well. And then week 15 or – I'm sorry, week 16 uh, at Minnesota Vikings uh, is a loss as well. Week 17 versus the Indianapolis Colts is a loss. And to finish off the season, they are at the Philadelphia Eagles for another loss. So I'm I'm sorry, Giants fans. I feel bad. But uh, I only have this team at three wins, three and 15, one less than last year. I think, I mean, you look at that roster and they had more talent last year and won four games. And now they've, uh, they're, although I think they're moving in the right direction, I think this is a transition year and they just don't have the talent that uh, they're really gonna be competing with a whole lot of any teams in the league at all, to be honest with you, Uh, just, and, you know, maybe next year you add up even more in free agency, you know, see if Daniel Jones is the answer. Maybe you're getting a new quarterback next year. Uh, we we'll just have to see how it develops. But um, I do think that the Giants are moving in the right direction. So a couple of thoughts on the schedule: rebuilding roster, but tough schedule to go along with it. It's you have a weak roster and you're rebuilding it, but you know it's it's not a cakewalk of a schedule. I mean, you have some easy games sprinkled in there. Uh, you're talking about like Chicago, Houston. Technically, you could say Detroit and Jacksonville are on that list. Um, you know, there are some easier games sprinkled in there, but you've got a tough division and uh, relatively. And you've got uh, – because the commanders are getting better and uh, the Dallas is competing. And, I mean, Eagles are right there at the top, like you said. So, um, you know, I do think that the Giants are the worst in the division here. And so that's an uphill battle from the start. Uh, And then you're facing a lot of good teams as well. So uh, second thought, tough teams at home. You know, you look at Indianapolis, Baltimore, Green Bay, and Dallas, all those teams at home. You probably even put uh, commanders in there. I don't know how good I expect the commanders to be, but they are tougher than the Giants on paper. Um, And they have a better defense, and Carson Wentz is uh, on paper a better quarterback than Daniel Jones. So, I mean – tough, tough games for the Giants there. And then number three, if Daniel Jones plays much better, a lot of those easier games that are losses become wins. Talk about the Lions, talk about the Commander's home game maybe, the Jaguars, Seattle. I just, right now, viewing Daniel Jones, the way I view Daniel Jones based on what he's shown on tape, I have a hard time picking him in almost any of those games. And it would have to be a very concerted, like good effort from the entire team to pull out a win against even some of those lower level competition. Um, And so I think that's unfortunately just where the Giants are at right now. Uh, What are your thoughts on the schedule, Enrique?
1: Um, I think that their schedule is fucked, if I'm being honest with you. Um, The Giants have a super tough schedule. Um, I do agree with you that they have, like, some – like. Like the Bears game, uh, the Panthers game, um, you know the Seahawks game, the, the Jaguars game. They have games that they could possibly win, but with all of those teams as well, I also see like, you know, I like I think the Carolina Panthers. If I'm being honest with you, I I trust Sam Darnold more than I trust Daniel Jones. Yeah, I trust Sam Darnold uh, more than I trust da- Daniel Jones. So I Way I, I think that's too. Yeah, um with Chicago Bears, like I I think that Justin Fields I trust more, you know, even with losing Cleo mack. I think the Bears I actually have like probably less talent than the Giants do. Still think that the fucking that Justin Fields could pull that shit off. Like yeah. um the Jaguars, I agree. I think they, they could lose against the Jaguars. Especially if um you know, now they're back-to-back number one overall picks, um, especially if they get off to a hard start. Especially Trevor Lawrence, um, and I can almost bet that Trevor Lawrence is going to come into this with like a fire underneath his ass this year, especially with what happened last year with Urban Meyer and not winning very many games. So, yeah,
0: yeah, I, I, would um, to- I think yeah,
1: I think if the Giants are able to take advantage of some of the weaker games on their schedule. Then um, I think that it's going to be great. But otherwise, I think they have a pretty rough schedule. Um, obviously, they're the weakest team in the division, so the division games themselves are going to be tough. Um, and then, yeah, you have to play the, you have to play the Eagles and the Cowboys, which are playoff teams. You have to play the Packers, the Ravens, which you have no chance against those teams. Um, then you have to play the Colts. You know, like the Houston Texans kind of can go either way. Um, I don't that's probably like the game that I would say is the most toss up game there on the whole schedule is the Texans game because any of uh, all those other games, I really do think like look kind of bad for the giants. So um, I almost got these guys winning like one game um, and that could be the Texans game. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a rough season for the giants. Um, I think they have a rebuilding roster. I think that honestly, what you want to see is just guys make, um, progress this year you want to see Evan Neal and kt play all the way through the year and make great progress you want to figure out what the fuck you're doing with daniel jones you want to figure out what the fuck you're doing with saquon you want to see uh, Kadervius, tony um you know uh, continue to develop you want to see your wide receiver cord continue to develop um and yeah you just want to see your young guys take steps forward see what the rookies you got this year uh see if they're able to become you know significant you know starters for you or you know if they're playing significant staff snap, snaps are, are they meaningful or are they quality um i think that's just one of the years that you're gonna have as a giants fan um and yeah all, all i'll say is it's never too early to become a jets fan like we're very welcoming over here you guys can <laughs> you guys can always become jets fans whenever um you know you just have to you have to denounce the giants and you know take the jets as your own but I'm just saying, it doesn't look very helpful for Big Blue over there, especially not this year with the schedule.
0: Just got to burn every blue piece of clothing down.
1: Yeah, and, like, you have to, like, say that um, – you have to say that Chad Pennington's a better quarterback than Eli Manning. Even though it's not true, <laughs> you have to say it. You have to say it.
0: That's fair, though. It's it's just a passage of rights, you know
1: what I It, it, it um, is, and because, like – those two teams are going two very different ways.
0: It's true. Yeah, the Jets are very much on the up and up and the Giants, you know, again, we'll have to see with the new direction with the new staff, but right now, uh, I they're going to have a, a struggle of season, but especially if Daniel Jones is in the answer, you know, you're probably going to result in a high draft pick. Maybe you get your pick at a quarterback. We'll just have to see. Um, so. I think with that, that'll do it for the first part of today's show. Join us on the Mile High Fight Show episode five as we go over one of the biggest cards of the year, UFC 276. With that, this has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Thanks.